Well, we are continuing our series, The Key to a Happy Life. Our verse for this series is Proverbs 3.13, Happy is the man who finds wisdom. Wisdom helps us find a happy place because it's through wisdom that we're able to avoid so many of the pitfalls and the problems, the troubles, and even heartache of this life. We can't avoid it all, but the truth is, is that much of the time we find ourselves in a difficult place because of our own foolish choices. And I want to tell you as a pastor, it bothers me anytime I see people going through a hard place, but it especially bothers me when I know that that place could have been avoided if they'd have made some right, some wise choices. One of the areas that so many people have trouble is money. It's difficult for some pastors, and I'll say this pastor, to talk about money because there are a lot of people that just think that the church is after their money. And I think that that attitude has, that idea has kind of come from the fact that, well, honestly, there are a handful of preachers that have made that a thing where it, it, it you know, they just are so strong about that. You know, they really are after people's money. But not many pastors are pulling that. And I just want you to understand this, that the Bible talks so much about money, we can't ignore it. In fact, it is an area that, that's so key to our spiritual life that we know how to handle this part of our life in a way that is pleasing to God. Amen. In fact, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. See, what we do with our money is directly related to our heart. And so we need to understand that it's a heart issue. Jesus himself talked a lot about money. Now, Jesus never said anything like, if you don't give, we will no longer be able to continue this ministry and reach those people that we need to reach. Now, Jesus never said anything like that. And we need to be wary, we need to be aware and be wise about our money and even our giving. But we need to hear this, that the Scripture has so much truth about this area of our life, and so many people are bound up, stressed out, worried about this part of their life, and God wants us to have victory. So we need the wisdom of God in this area. The wisdom of God, at the very least, you see, without the wisdom of God, this area will bring us heartache and trouble. So, we're going to read the passage that our series was based on. It's Proverbs 3, 13 through 18. And as we read through this passage, you're going to see how often it is speaking of money or wealth in one way or another. It's so much a part of this passage. Happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding for her proceeds, wisdom's proceeds, are better than the profits of silver, and her gain than fine gold. She's more precious than rubies, and all the things you may desire cannot compare with her. Length of days is in her right hand, and in her left hand riches and honor. Her ways are the ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all who retain her. See, wisdom is much better than money, because money can't make you happy. But here's the thing. Wisdom can help you get to a happy place in life. You know, people say, well, if I had more money, I'd be happy. If we had more money, we wouldn't be so stressed out. 
If we have more money, we would have time to do the things that are really important. If we had more money, we would have time to get involved in the work of the Lord. If we had more money, well, we could give to the work of the Lord. And here's what's really happening there is money is controlling their decisions. I want to tell you that's no way to live. If we had more money, money, money is the answer. I want to tell you that money's nice to have, but it makes a terrible God. And Jesus, our, our Savior, He said, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You see, a lot of people, they just get bound up in this area where it is such a controlling factor in their life. A wise person once told me, Money can't make you happy, but it's, hap- it's hard to be happy without it. Now, there is a little bit of truth in that. I believe that, well, we can be happy even, we're in a, even when we're in a very tight, lean place financially. But here, here's the point, though, that I want to make to you, is that when we have the wisdom of God in this area, we don't have to do without it. Here's what the Bible says in Proverbs 10, 22. The blessing of the Lord makes one rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. What a fantastic promise from the Word of God. Now, I certainly believe that it includes more than just money. The blessing of the Lord is much more than that. And even when it says makes one rich, I don't think that he's just talking about, hey, we're all going to be millionaires. I do believe that it means that we're going to have plenty, that we're going to have enough. I don't think that God wants us living just where we're always in trouble financially, always struggling. I don't see that as the plan of God in the Scripture. But see, we need to decide that we really do believe the Bible. Because if we believe the Bible, there are some fantastic promises available to us. And this is one of those. The blessing of the Lord makes one rich. And this part is just as important. He adds no sorrow with it. There's a lot of people in this world that have money, but they're miserable. But when it's God who is blessing you, there's no misery. There's no sorrow added with it. No, God blesses us that way, and we can find a happy place. If you ever wished you'd handled your money a little different, if you ever have more month left over at the end of the money, you ever have debt that is a burden to you, you feel strapped, stressed about money, if you just want to learn to be a better steward, then I encourage you to tune in this morning. This message is for you, but we need God's wisdom. How does he want us to handle money? See, not the wisdom of man. There's plenty of books out there on success, how to make your first million, how to get ahead, and how to achieve your goals. It's all kinds of books like that. And I'm not, I'm not putting all that down. You know, maybe there's some good things that you can learn from, from that. But I do know this, that a lot of the time they say, well, this works for everybody, and, and it doesn't work for everybody. But here's what I know does work for everybody in every generation, in every country, in every economic situation, the truths of God's Word. 
work for everybody. And the wisdom that we learn from the Word of God works for everybody. And so this morning, I'm just telling you, wherever you are financially, these simple truths will work in your life. We're the most affluent generation in history. But the truth is, is that in spite of our material wealth, people are so stressed over money. Their finances are upside down. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Most people, they may have a little money in the bank, but they owe way more than what they have. God wants us to get to a place where we're not always struggling, where we're not always upside down and always having a difficult time in this area of our life, but we can truly be worry-free, carefree, as we learn to live in the wisdom of God. Most people, they just, you know, they, they worry. They're, they've got money issues. And I'm telling you, that's not what the Lord wants for us. And I know that because in Matthew 6, Jesus says several times, he says, don't worry about stuff. In fact, when Jesus says that, he uses, for example, he says, don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. These are necessities in life, right? And he's saying, don't worry about it. A lot of us are all stressed out and worried about a whole lot of things and it isn't the necessities. Anybody hearing me? But even when it is the necessities, he says, don't worry about it. Your heavenly Father knows the things that you have need of. See, we're not supposed to worry about money. We're not supposed to worry about stuff. The enemy of our soul is using that to bind up so many people. Proverbs 10, 22. The blessing of the Lord makes one rich. He adds no sorrow with it. I want you to understand that it is the blessing of the Lord that we want. And we need to, we need to acknowledge this. The blessing of the Lord. He is our source. Not anything, not anybody else, not the government, not our own abilities, not our skill. You know, I can do this and I can do that. I want to tell you, you better make God your source. But when we realize that He truly is our source, when we know that He is our provider, Oh, what a freedom that is to know that ultimately God provides for us. He takes care of us. Jesus taught us to pray this way in the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. I see most of us, we think, oh, I got bread. I ain't worried about that. Listen, it's the principle. You see that we are looking to God every day, that He is our provider. He is, he is our source. We can trust Him. And so whether we have a lot or just a little, we should always have that attitude that we are looking to God as our source. Here's why. Because ultimately it all belongs to Him. Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. (laughs) Sometimes we talk about the tithe belonging to God, and it does. But here's the thing. Ultimately, it all belongs to God. The earth and everything in it, it, is, it all ultimately belongs to Him. And you see, that makes a difference in our finances because when we understand that it really all belongs to Him, then what are we doing with it? I want to tell you, we're stewards of what He entrusts to us. 
Because ultimately, it all belongs to him. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 4.2, it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. See, stewards, that means we're managers of what God has placed in our trust. That's, we're not owners of it. See, a lot of people, even believers, get this mindset, well, this is mine, I own it, it's my money, I do what I want. Wrong. It's God's. We're just trying to be good stewards of it. He's entrusted it to us. We need to understand this, that we really are stewards of what the Lord trusts us with. And as stewards, it's required that we are faithful, not wasteful. It's my money, I can waste it if I want to. Yeah, you can be miserable if you want to. How much better to do things God's way and see His blessing on your life instead of living in debt bondage or living stressed out, being anxious. How much better to learn to trust Him and just be faithful with what He entrusts to you. You see, to do that, we have to be wise. So what does the wisdom of Proverbs tell us about money? Proverbs 21.5, the plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty, but those of everyone who is hasty surely to poverty. I want you to hear this now. He says, surely. This is a certainty. The plans of the diligent lead to plenty. Plenty. Doesn't that sound good? Plenty. Not eaken by plenty. That means more than enough plenty. Some people are thinking, I've worked hard all my life and I just barely get by. I want you to know, God loves you. And I want to tell you, I appreciate somebody that works hard. But you're missing something there. It's not just being diligent in your work. Well, that's part of it. We'll talk about that. But it's the plans of the diligent. you got to have a plan. You can't just do your finances haphazardly and hope that it turns out okay. You need to have some kind of a plan. The plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty. Here's the other side. Everyone who is, who is hasty, it's going to lead to poverty. They don't have a plan. They're just kind of taking it as it comes, just kind of careless, haphazard, on, on the fly, making decisions. Surely it'll lead to poverty. That's what the Bible says. Let me put it another way. Some people say, oh, I, I, I'm not in poverty. It'll lead to lack, to need, to stress. You see, it'll put you in a place where you don't want to be financially. Right. We can work our fingers to the bone and still not make ends meet. To be diligent or to be a faithful steward, you got to have a plan. The plans of the diligent lead to plenty. Do you have a plan? It might be a budget that you've written out and you keep a record maybe of your expenses. I found a lot of the time that that's more telling than having a budget because you can budget and plan on doing something, but if you don't follow through, it doesn't mean a whole lot. But whether it is a written out plan or you have just a general plan that you know and that you live by each and every day, I mean, it's just a part of the way you live. But you've got to have some kind of a plan where you're not just flying by the seat of your pants, but you've got a plan. You know what it is that you're supposed to do, how you're going to handle your money. 
If you don't have a plan, you're not being a good steward. Because we can't make financial decisions just on the fly, being reckless and haphazard. That's exactly what it's talking about when it says, everyone who is hasty, surely to poverty. You know, early in this series, I talked about the importance of making decisions ahead of time when you can. And there may be times when you have to decide something on the spot, but most financial decisions can be made ahead of time. See, before you go to the car dealership, you, you decide ahead of time how much you can spend. Before you go to the car dealership, you might even consider deciding how much you're willing to take for your trade. Now, I want you to hear me now. I'm not trying to tell anybody how to do a car deal. What I'm trying to tell you, though, is the principle that you decide ahead of time rather than when you're caught in the emotion of a moment. And if you can't decide ahead of time, especially on a big decision, then at least sleep on it. But you don't decide hasty. Hasty. He says, surely it will lead to poverty. You've got to make wise choices if we're going to be a good steward. We've got to be ready to give an account for what has been entrusted to us. We should never have to say, I don't know where the money went. If you work for a business or if you work for a church and you say, I don't know where the money went. Somebody is in big trouble, right? And yet when it comes to our personal finances where we think we don't have any accountability, most of us are fine with just saying, I don't know where the money went. This is something that has been entrusted to us and we need to be faithful. We need to know where the money went. I'm not saying every single penny, but I'm saying just as a general rule, we need to know where the money went at the end of the month. We need some kind of a plan regarding what comes in and what goes out. Because as long as we spend more than what's coming in, we're always going to have trouble. And so we need a plan where we can know that that's not going to happen. Warren Buffett is one of the richest people in the world, and... uh, he once said, you don't need to have, extra, or have extraordinary effort to achieve extraordinary results. You just need to do the ordinary, everyday things exceptionally well. Sounds a little simplistic to me. I mean, we're talking about a billionaire. What does he know about my life? But I think the principle is right. A lot of the time, there are daily, ordinary things that if we'll just follow through with the plan and do what we're supposed to do, listen, in the long haul, it makes a huge difference. There's a story that really backs that up. The story is about a man named Ronald Reed. And Reed was a retired gas station attendant and janitor in Vermont who passed away in 2015. Uh, Just want note, please, he was a gas station attendant and janitor. And I I just want to point out to you that there's nothing wrong with these professions, all right? 
but we don't typically think of somebody being a gas station attendant or janitor as having much wealth. Well, the strange thing is, is that when Reed passed away in 2015, his friends and people that knew him, they were all shocked because his estate was $8 million. And everybody was like, how did this happen? How could this possibly be? Because year after year after year, this man worked and he spent less than he made. And he took what he saved and invested it. Year after year after year. He didn't do this for a couple of years. He did it for his whole life until he passed away. And he had $8 million. How can that be? The daily things of being frugal and spending less than he had to, or, or less than he could have, I should say, and instead saving it and investing it. And see, you may not think that the little daily things matter much, but if you stick with the plan in the long haul, there's no telling what it may amount to. So in Proverbs chapter 6, the Scripture tells us we can learn a little wisdom from the ants. I'm going to read chapter 6, verse 6 through 11. He says, Go to the ant, you sluggard, consider her ways and be wise which having no captain, overseer, or ruler, provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. How long will you slumber, O sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slender, slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall your poverty come on you like a prowler and your need like an armed man. First thing we see here, the ant is never lazy. The ant works even when there's no ruler. There's nobody watching over them, standing over them, forcing them to work. And our, part of our plan needs to be that we are diligent in our work. There's a lot of people in our culture today that their idea of work, well, that's just a four-letter word. And they just want to do as little as they absolutely have to. And I want to tell you, if we live by the Word of God, part of our plan needs to be that we are diligent about our work. We're not workaholics. We're not addicted to work. But we are diligent in our work. I know there are some that go overboard. But we just need to realize that when we allow ourselves to be lazy, it's going to lead to poverty. Proverbs 14, 23, In all labor there is profit, but idle chatter leads only to poverty. A few years ago, there was a man that came to talk to me about financial trouble, and he wasn't working. He had a job offer, a standing job offer. There was a job that was available to him if he would just come and work, but he had decided that he was supposed to do something else for a living, and he refused to take any job because he had decided that this venture was going to be his source. And I told him, I said, well, you know, here you are in financial need, and your family is suffering for it. I said, you just need to go ahead and take this job. There's nothing wrong with this job. Take this job, and then when this venture comes to fruition, that would be great. But until then, go ahead and work and take this job. He wouldn't do it. He asked everybody he knew for financial help. 
And I just want to tell you, the New Testament, this isn't Old Testament, this is New Testament. Second Thessalonians 3.10 says, if anyone will not work, he shouldn't eat. The Bible says we're supposed to work. Well, this is for somebody. I don't know who, but just saying, listen, if you're a housewife, you are working. Believe me, we acknowledge that totally and completely. There's no way we could pay you. <laughs> That's for somebody. Just had to. I know there are times when someone loses a job and it takes a while to find another. I've been there myself. Back in the year 2000, I found myself there. I just want to say we should do what we can. Last time I was in between, I'm not patting myself on the back. I just want to give you an example, though. When I was in between, I remodeled the house. I installed garage doors. I mowed pasture. I did whatever I could find, and I preached as often as I had an opportunity. You do what you can. You, you, you know, be diligent and work as much, much as you can. You say, well, I'm not making as much as I ought to. Be diligent and work. God will make a way for more. But listen. Proverbs 10, 4 and 5, He who has a slack hand becomes poor, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Whoever that gathers in summer is a wise son, who sleeps in harvest is a son who causes shame. See, we've got to be diligent in our work. That is part of the plan. And then we also see this, that a wise son saves when he can. He has a plan to save. That wise son, listen, he gathers in the harvest or in the summer. He's a wise son. And you need to know this part of your plan has to be that you save. I know some people are thinking, oh, that would be nice. I want to tell you, you can get there. And we need to hear this this morning. If we're going to be good stewards, we can't always be living beyond our means. And we can't just always spend everything that we have Because I want to tell you what happens is that eventually there's going to be a season. There's going to be a hard time come. Anybody ever seen an economic downturn? Listen, as far back as I can remember, I almost never remember talking good about the economy. Well, that tells you one thing. But what I do know, though, is that we really do go through difficult times. And not even just... For, the, for our country, but for us personally. There's challenges and difficulties, times when we're not making as much maybe as we should, or we have unexpected bills and things that come in. And Here's the wisdom of God. This is the wisdom that God gave to Joseph. You see, in Egypt, there was going to be a great famine, but first there were going to be seven years of plenty. And so Joseph stored up for seven years. For seven years, they just kept stockpiling grain. For seven years, that's a long time. That's a really long time when, you know, looking back, we read the story and we know, but you see, all they had was a dream that some guy got. But hear this now, he kept storing and storing and storing, and then a famine came for seven years. And the Bible says that because 
God used Joseph that way, it was to the saving of many lives. Even his own family, who were the people of God that became the nation of Israel, they were saved because Joseph had stored up that grain for seven years. We need to understand that in our own personal lives and finances, we should always be saving so we are prepared when a hard time comes. Not only so that we'll be taken care of, but also we might be able to help somebody else. You got to say, part of your plan needs to be that you're saving. See, most people, when it more money comes in, they just find a new way to spend. And they're forever playing catch-up. People get a raise, and it's amazing how immediately their spending rises to match their new income. Most people just don't ever seem to save much. I, I saw a meme this week that said, it's tax refund season. I know you're missing the beach, but you're also missing the tooth and all the tread on your tires. Let's make smart decisions this year. See, we need to have a plan to save. Got $700, man, I can get that new phone now. Is the one you got, is it just not working at all? Oh, but this was really cool. How about saving that 700 bucks? I know I'm getting in your business this morning, but I'm I'm trying to help you. Listen, the problem with saving, here's the problem with saving. Everybody, you know, be not, oh, I'd love to have some savings. Listen, the problem with saving is spending. That's it. Because it doesn't matter how much you get, if you spend it all, you're never going to have savings. And where you are right now, some of you are thinking, there's no way that I could save. Oh, yes, you can. You can find something to trim in your budget, and you can save. It's certainly true that when it comes to big purchases, we need to sometimes say no. We need to decide that we're not going to do that. But it's also true when it comes to some of our daily expenses or weekly expenses because, as we've already seen, those kinds of daily or weekly decisions have an accumulative effect. And I've used this example before, but I I really want to use it as an example of saving So you want to save $1,000 this year, and maybe that's not that much, but for some people it would be a start. And you'll get yourself two two Starbucks a week. That's over $500 a year. You and your spouse, if y'all have a couple of Starbucks a week, I mean, that doesn't sound extravagant. That's over $1,000 a year. Now, to a lot of people, $1,000 means something. We'll just take this game another way. So let's just say that you and your spouse, and you know, maybe the kids sometime you, you, that you, you, every day your routine is, is that you buy some fast food for lunch. You pick up some fast food. What if you brown bagged it instead? You know, you fix yourself a sandwich, get some chips, you brown bag it. And you saved $10 a day by brown bagging it. That's $3,000 a year. That means something. I'm just telling you. What if you took your cable bill, your $79.95, that you think that you, you would die if you didn't have, and you decided to do it a different way? 
You're talking about $960 a year. Anybody with me? Anybody want me to look at their finances? <laughs> no. <laughs> now, I'll be honest with you. I really do think this way. I really am that tightwad, that frugal. But I just want you to understand that, you see, all of us can find some areas in our finances where we could save more if we just quit some of our spending. And for a lot of us, listen, we're, we're doing more than just the necessities. There's some areas of our life that we could put back. It's just we got to make up this, we got to make up our minds to make this decision to have a plan where I work hard, but I also save. And to do that, you got to deal with the spending. And here's part of the key with spending. This is how you can get victory with your spending. Be content with what you have. Yeah. Hebrews 13:5, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. So many get themselves in all kinds of debt because they're never content with what they have. Here's an example of debt bondage. Ellen is 30 years old. She has a $3,500 balance on her credit card at 18% interest. She makes the minimum payment each month. How old will she be when her credit card is paid off? 70. Just take her 35 years to pay off $3,500. Susan and Tom, they need a new washing machine, so they found one for $5.99. They got a charge card, and they make the minimum payment every month. By the time the washing machine is paid off, how much did they actually pay for that washing machine? Not $5.99, but $23.99. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people struggle with debt, and it affects their marriage, their health, their ability even to function because they become slaves to the debt. Proverbs 22 and 7 says, The borrower is servant of the lender, and that's what it means. Listen, when you get so much debt, it'll turn you into a slave. In fact, that kind of debt, in a, in a way, it puts you in a debtor's prison because you're always working for that. First Timothy 6, 6 through 10 says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. Life's like playing Monopoly. Doesn't matter what property you owned, after it's over, it all goes back in the box. You're not taking any of it with you. Verse 8, and having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. Food and clothing. Anybody content with food and clothing? Oh, man. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith and in their greediness and they pierce themselves through with many sorrows. Oh, wow. We need to be content. Not be greedy. Not love money. See? But the godly who are content, they always feel blessed. Does it matter how big their house is or how new their car is? 1990, I was 30 years old. I had a 1969 Ford truck that I bought for my granddaddy for $1,000. It's a regular old cat, you know, single cab truck like they made back then. Well, in 69. 
Don't even know if it had seat belts. Never used one. You didn't have to, and I would. You know what I'm saying? But I remember having my whole family, Carmen and both kids, we all four sitting on that bench seat, had a little aftermarket air conditioner that would spit on you, <laughs> AM radio. And I can honestly say to you, I was just as happy then as I am now driving a brand new Wagoneer. Now, if you said to me back then, hey, you want a new one? I would have said, well, yeah, that'd be nice. But I just want you to understand, we can be just as happy with what we have. A lot of the time what happens, people get the new thing, and they're still not happy. There's something else they're not content about. You see, it's a mentality. It's a matter of the heart that either we're going to be content with what we have or we are always going to be miserable. That's not wisdom. Being content, that's wisdom. Godly people, they always feel blessed. Another way that discontent manifests itself, by the way, or greed manifests itself is by working too much. Proverbs 23, 4 and 5 says, Do not overwork to be rich. Is that actually in the Bible? Yes, it is. Do not overwork. Are you overworking? Stop it. Because of your own understanding, cease. Will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an eagle toward heaven. Some of us just work too much. Workaholics. Trying to get ahead. Go to work early, stay late. Bringing your work home with you. One father kept bringing his, home, his work home with him. And his six-year-old asked him why. And he explained that he just couldn't finish all of his work during the day. And the little boy said, well, maybe they could put you in a slower group. <laughs> How much better to be content with what you have? Because I want to tell you, nobody on their deathbed ever said, oh, I wish I'd have gotten in some more overtime. No, there's things that matter so much more. Like... The Lord himself, having time for God, having time for your brothers and sisters in Christ, having time for your family, having time to be involved in the work of the Lord, having time even to reach out to the lost. It's, you know, we get ourselves running so fast, we don't have time to talk to anybody. Last, to be wise, we have to plan to give. You've got to plan to work, and you have to plan to save. That part, that saving, that won't happen without some kind of a plan. And third, we need to plan to give. Right. How can we get God's blessings on our finances? We give God the first fruits. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. The wisdom of Proverbs says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty. There's that plenty word again. Not just enough, not eking by, but plenty. And your vats will overflow with new wine. We should never give God our leftovers. Not when we're talking about our time, our efforts, or our money. We ought to always honor God with our first fruits. I think a lot of people miss this principle that we need to honor God with the first fruits, not whatever's left. Paul Harvey told a story about a woman a few years ago. She had 
Well, she bought a butterball turkey and she had kept it in the freezer for 23 years. And so she called Butterball and asked them if it was, you know, if it was still good to eat. And they said, well, ma'am, if your freezer has worked properly the whole time, it should be safe to eat, but it's probably lost a lot of the flavor. She said, oh, okay. Well, I think I'll just donate it to my church for Thanksgiving dinner. And, you know, that's kind of the way a lot of people do the Lord and do their giving, you know. When I'm all done with it, whatever's left, hey, if I got a little bit left, I'll let you. Listen, you give God the first fruits of your increase. That's faith. It doesn't take any faith to say, well, if something's left, no, it takes faith to just obey God in your giving and trust Him. And listen, He gives us this promise that He will give us plenty. Doesn't take any faith to do that if we just wait. No, we need to be obedient to the Lord in our giving, always. You know, when you know that God will take care of you, giving's not a problem. It's a pleasure. When you know that He is your provider, you see, you get free. When you, when you know that He supplies all your need according to His riches and glory, you don't, you don't worry about money. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. In the NIV, it says it this way. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that at all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. I want you to notice that he decided in his heart. You need a plan. You need to make a decision. You need to decide. See, prayerfully, obediently, you decide, this is my plan, this is what I'm going to give. Now, for many of you, you say, I've decided to tithe. It's a plan, I'm doing that. But whatever that situation is, you, you pray about it and you decide. You don't do it because you've been stirred emotionally. Hear me now. See, there's a lot of manipulation that goes on in this world. Don't be manipulated by some ploy to pull on your heartstrings and stir you emotionally. You prayerfully decide what you're going to give in obedience to God. Not out of compulsion, it says. See, nobody's twisting your arm. And, And I just want to say... Here at this church, we're not ever going to do that. You just obey God in your giving. We're not going to use any kind of ploys. We're not going to... I'm not going to say it. It'd be too ugly. (laughs) I'm just saying, though, here's what we need to do. Decide in your heart what you're going to do. Have a plan. You see, you need to have a plan that you work diligently. You need to have a plan that you save. And you need to have a plan that you give to the Lord. Those things are required for us to be good stewards and be faithful with what God has given to us. And here's the thing. You see, when we give in obedience to God, it's an expression of our faith. And when we give in obedience to God, it is an act of worship. It is also something that when we give that way, we decide it in our heart. We just read it there. He is a cheerful giver. I'm I'm just telling you, when you give that way, 
it makes you happy to give. Anybody else ever feel happy when you give? Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Somebody, you're you new here, you're thinking, he's about to take an offering. No, I'm not. I want you to get free. I want to see the blessing of God on your life, your family, your finances. That's what I really do want. And I just encourage you, you, you pray, and you just obey God always in your giving. But when we truly let Jesus be Lord of our lives in this area, I'm telling you, if we'll just obey Him, if we'll just do what He wants us to do, and if we'll just be faithful with what He's entrusted to us, we just don't know what great blessings that God may bring in your life. Luke 16.10 says, He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. A lot of times we quote this next verse when we're talking about this life being over, but it's really not just written about this life being over. It's really some, a principle, a kingdom principle that applies in our lives even now. It's Matthew 25, 21. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. And what I'm saying to you is, is that when we are good stewards of what God has entrusted to us, He will bless us with more. And I don't say that as just some kind of get-rich get thing. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just saying, though, that the principles of Scripture are true. When we are faithful with what we have, God will bless us with more. I want you to stand with me. We're going to pray. I'd like for our prayer partners to come.